Good morning. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. And greetings also from Cornerstone in Labette County, Kansas. It is a blessing to be with you this morning. I've already been encouraged um, in the Sunday school and the devotional and um, in the topic. And as sometimes is the case when the Holy Spirit is leading us, things dovetail nicely together. I would like to begin this morning by asking, are you in a relationship? Are you in a relationship? Several times recently, I've heard people talking about being in a relationship or dating. And sometimes it's been new couples. Sometimes it's been maybe new couples. Sometimes it's been people that we think would make a good couple. But I've heard quite a bit of this discussion around. And on social media and in the world around us, we often hear about somebody being in a relationship and speaking about that particular relationship. I think it's a good way to think about these things. But if I have a beef with it, it is that it insinuates that you can live outside of relationship. I happen to believe that we cannot live apart from relationship. We will always have relationships. They may be good. They may be bad. They may be shallow. They may be deep. But we all live in relationship. I also believe that relationships have the power to change us. They're extremely influential. They can change us for the good or for the ill. Today I'd like to talk a little bit about relationships and some of what relationships mean for us. This morning my topic is living in relationship. What is relationship? Relationship talks about the connections, or lack thereof, between people, between things. We could talk about the relationship between oil and the environment, or between a certain president and the economy, or, or take your pick. There is a relationship, or a lack of it. But specifically today, I'd like to talk about the connection between people, the relationship between people. It might be business relationships. It might be church relationships. It might be family relationships. Or yes, it could even be romantic relationships. Originally in the 1700s when the word was coined, it was talking about family ties. How are you related to Bob? Bob is my uncle. Family relationships. But from there, it expanded to talk about how you relate with somebody, more the verb. And, you know, we might, we might talk about how we interact, or how we respond, or how it is that I cut off or grow connections with those around me. 
Even in that area then, there are yet two more ways to think about relationship. And the one talks purely about the connection or the interaction between people. We know each other. We have some idea of who we are. We spend time around each other. The relationship, here again, could be close. It could be strained. It might be a, hey, the weather's beautiful outside type of relationship. It might be a deep spiritual conversation relationship. Or it might be a, I refuse to talk to you relationship. There is a relationship. You could say, what is your relationship with somebody else? The other talks about the priority we place on relationship. The priority. Are we seeking to grow and strengthen this relationship? Or are we prioritizing something else? This type is not merely a contractual relationship or one that involves contract. You do this and I will do something as well. This is when we are more concerned about caring for the other individual, when we are more interested in what is good for them than what is good for us. This is when we walk along with someone or allow them to walk along with us in life. This is when I refuse to write somebody off, but instead I stay engaged and maintain relationship even when the going gets rough. This typically involves a lot of time and a lot of love. A love and dedication to the other individual. There are various other terms that also apply to this type of a relationship. We could talk about things like discipleship or sacrificial love or church family, marriage, brotherhood. These all talk about prioritizing relationship. And it is this way of thinking of relationship that I'd like to talk about primarily today. Before we go further, I would like to make a few clarifying statements. First of all, I am going to be speaking quite a bit about prioritizing relationship over other things. And I do this with the understanding that truth, God, and obedience must come first. We should never sacrifice any of these for a relationship. In fact, I think we do far more damage to relationships when we sacrifice any of these for a relationship. As in many things, whenever we place something in the driver's seat other than God, even good things become problems. Secondly, I also believe that relationships must have boundaries. Of course, relationships across gender lines, they're a good thing, but they need to be done with boundaries. Relationships with those outside of the church is good. It is only through relationships that we can witness to those around us. But they too must be done with boundaries because influence can flow two ways. Our relationship in the church must always be more grounded, more strong than our relationships outside of the church. And thirdly, relationships even within the church, they're excellent 
but they must be done with boundaries. We should be careful to avoid fostering the exclusive relationships within the church. Our relationships should be inclusive. So with these two understandings in place, how is it that we are talking about relationships? Why are relationships important? Why do we talk about them? I've got three things that I think help explain the importance of relationship. The first is, relationship is a vehicle of transfer. If you will, you can think of it as a bridge. Imagine with me that you are standing beside the Royal Gorge or the Grand Canyon, and you have a desire to get something from where you are at to the other side of this canyon. If you are strong enough, you can very possibly hurl that object across the gulf and have it reach the other side. However, if you have a walking bridge that you can walk across, you can carry considerable weight to the other side. If, however, you have an even larger, maybe a concrete bridge, you can drive a vehicle that carries so much more. Or, if you have a four-lane highway type of bridge, you can have many vehicles carrying much across. In many ways, our relationships function much the same way. A strong, deep relationship allows for us to transfer, if you will, deeper and more important things across the gulf. A communication. We need relationship in order to thrive in the brotherhood. We need good relationship. We need, a, we need relationships to bring others to Christ. We need relationships with Jesus in order to be saved. Relationships help us communicate things like trust, love, ideas, many other things. Relationships are a means of transfer. Secondly, there is an old saying that says, first you make your friends, and then your friends make you. Relationships are powerful. They are influential. And they flow two ways. We must build them thoughtfully, maintain them carefully, and burn them rarely. Thirdly, God is relational and created us as relational creatures. Let's think just a little bit about some things that we know about God. God is a trinity. There are three who are one. God has existed together for eternity, has and will. God exists in perfect love, perfect knowledge, and works perfectly together. I think you could say that they live or they exist in perfect relationship. I'm going to read a couple verses out of Genesis 1. You're welcome to turn there if you like. 
or just listen as I read. <clears throat> Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Here I notice it says that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and then that he did so. There has been considerable discussion about what all this means, and I don't intend to go down that particular rabbit hole this morning other than I notice that we are created in his image, and I think part of that means we are created relational beings. I also notice that God made us two who become one. Again, relational creatures. And then later, um, in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. This verse is often talked about as Adam needing a wife. And I don't really argue with that. However, I think it goes a little bit deeper, and it talks about how God, how God saw that Adam had a need for relationship with his own kind. From this verse, it goes on to talk about how God brought the animals to Adam, and Adam named them. But there was not found a help meet for him, or a help suitable for him. Adam needed relationship with his own kind. Again, we have been created relational beings. <clears throat> so if relationship is indeed important, which it is, and it is important in order to communicate things like love and belief and ideas, and that they are powerfully influential, and that we have been created relational beings. We are created to relate together. And that that is indeed the image of God. Then I expect that God has been reaching out to us as humans in relational ways since the beginning of time. Do we see that happening? Yes, we definitely do. In the Old Testament, we see how God related to the Israelites as a nation, and the relationship with, with Israel at that point as a nation was one with a contract. It was based on contract. God laid out the rules, and if they followed the contract, there would be blessings. If they did not, there were curses that would happen. The Israelites agreed to this twice, actually. They agreed to it at Mount Sinai, and then again after they possessed the land of Canaan. But then we see further interaction as well. We see how God spoke through prophets and judges to the nation of Israel. But we do notice He never again spake directly to them as He had at Mount Sinai. And that was at least partly 
at their request. But then as we look deeper into the Old Testament, we, can, we see God relating individually with people. Think with me of people like Adam and Eve, especially before the fall, of Noah, of Moses, Abraham, David, Daniel, and many other prophets. And in the New Testament, God seems to shift away from working with a group of people as a nation and shifts more to dealing with us as a group, as the church. Instead of a relationship of contract, it is compared to a relationship of marriage. How is it that he reached out to us? God sent his son Jesus to us. He was born. He lived. He died. He was tempted. He was betrayed. He was cruelly used. He was killed. And I wonder, could God have redeemed us from a distance? And I don't know. It's possible that there might have been a way God could have done that. But I notice that is not the way he did it. We see that Jesus came down to earth and experienced life here. Why is it that he did that? I think there's probably numerous answers. But did he need to do that in order to understand what we were living through here? I don't believe so. I think God knows completely our experience here. I think he knows the circumstances we're in. He knows our emotions. He knows the pressures. I think he even knows why we make our decisions far better than we do. So why is it that God would have come? Is it possible that God came to help us understand that He knows and He cares and He loves. I think that is probably more likely. It helps us understand that yes, God does desire and work for a relationship with each of us. Also notice that Jesus chose 12 men to live with and to disciple. In the time of Moses, God spoke to Moses and said, this is how the children of Israel are to live. This is, you are to do these things and not do these others. But here, Jesus came and lived with us. He showed us. He personally walked with his disciples and showed by example how to live. But he didn't stop there. When he left, he promised to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to continue the work he started. And indeed, God has sent the Holy Spirit. 
John 16, 13 says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. God sends his spirit to guide us to him. And this is a personal relationship for the person who follows God. Jesus could only be with so many people at a time here on earth. He could only walk with so many people at a time. And yet the Holy Spirit lives within each one of us and guides us and directs us as we choose to follow him. God lives within a relationship with each one of us. So if God lives and desires relationship with us, it seems as though we would also be called to live relationally with each other, and so we are. How is it that we are called to reach out in relationship to each other? First of all, there are a few things that I think must be in place before we can do that well. We must grow. We must seek to develop a few things to reach out well to each other. We're going to need sacrificial love. We're going to need a willingness to communicate and a willingness to trust. Let's dig into those a little more. To live relationally well, we must have sacrificial love. It is not something that is done for my benefit, but for the benefit of the other person. It is sacrificial. It is not that it cannot benefit me, but rather that I do it even when it does not. Sacrificial love is not done in pride or dismissiveness, but rather in humility and love. It is not done in pretense or hypocrisy, but in genuineness, in sincerity. Sacrificial love. Are we willing to sacrifice for love? A willingness to communicate. Contracts have their place. A good contract, a well-written contract, will be very clear and precise in what is expected from each individual entering into the contract. And I think that can be helpful. But there is a downside. When we have contracts, it is far too easy to point to the contract and say, brother, you're out of compliance. We can point at the contract and end the discussion. I think instead, we should seek to communicate and try to understand the other person's position. Spend time at it. Let's try to love. There is much to be gained by sitting down and talking, explaining, hearing, seeking to understand each other. And when we are seeking to communicate, 
out of sacrificial love than communicating about a disagreement or a concern or an offense or some other kind of tension can be extremely healing and productive. And to be clear, I said we should talk to each other. I think I'm, I used the wrong word there. I should have said communicate with each other. Some people choose to write these things. It gives them more time to think about what they want to say, choose the right words, have time to respond correctly. Others choose to speak about it. It feels more personable. It, you get body language and tone that helps communicate. And I really don't think it matters, the method of communication. But it is important that we communicate. What is important is the motive and the reception. Let's not miss out on the blessings of communication. The third thing is the choice of trust. In anything we experience, we have the opportunity, the option, the choice, if you will, to trust or be suspicious. Suspicion is extremely damaging to a relationship. If I suspect something of my brother, my part of the relationship is affected virtually the same as though it were true, whether or not it is. If a suspicion crosses our mind, I think it is important that we either decide to trust that person or we go talk to them or communicate with them in some way. It is vitally important to discern. This is very true. But until we have taken the step of communication in the spirit of sacrificial love, it is also vital that we trust our brothers and sisters. So with these three things in place, how is it that we should reach out to each other? One way is choosing to love enough to be willing to enter someone else's mess for their good alone. Not to get them fixed to make our life easier, but in, able, but in order to walk with them, in order to show them love. Now, it's true that we like to be involved in the parts of people's lives that are going well, that are successful, things that they have in order. That's fun. That's easy. It's beneficial. We don't immediately enjoy being involved in the parts of people's lives where things are not going well. It can often be work. It takes time. It can stress a relationship. And it does not immediately feel fulfilling. We tend to want to stand back and tell other people how they ought to fix their, their problems. We might even be willing to lob a few fixes at it. But what we really need to do is to put on our boots, our gloves, and step in and join the work. And I am primarily talking about our willingness to do so. 
Let's remember, there are times when maybe we should step back. Force is not relational. Neither is an I will fix you mentality. We need to think of this as I am willing to come alongside you as a friend and walk with you. We're not always called to help someone fix their problems, the problems they're dealing with. It may just be that we're called to walk alongside them and love them. Second way we should reach out to others is by being willing to allow someone else to enter our mess. Our problems, the parts of our lives that are not going well. Dare I say, maybe even ask for help? We should do this instead of stiff-arming, instead of holding them at a distance, instead of being proud. We don't naturally tell very many people about the things in our lives that are not going well. It's just not our nature. What we typically do is we try to cover them up. We keep the shiny side out and keep the messy side in. We try to keep a pretty low tone on it. Is it surprising then that we tend to feel alone with our struggles? When everyone else appears to be doing fine, to be doing well, have things in order, and yet I know all about my struggles. I think it is helpful if we can understand that everyone has their struggle. Everyone has things in life that they are seeking to grow in, to be better in, things that they are trying to correct. And if I understand that, then it helps me to be willing to ask for others because I know I am not alone. It might be that they have the same struggle I have, or it might be that they struggle in an area that I can help them in. It is called interdependence. This takes humility and a willingness for others to see me the way I truly am. It takes a desire for God to grow us, no matter how or who He uses. If we will willingly choose to invite others into our lives, to walk with us through our struggles... I think we will find the strengths and the blessings of brotherhood. But we must fight the tendency to bury our weaknesses and to show off our strengths. So does relationship have to be about fixing problems or dealing with problems? Well, absolutely not. In fact, I think I would go as far to say that strong relationships are almost never about fixing a problem. If they were, the relationship would cease when the problem was resolved. Relationships are, in fact, about giving life and showing love to other people. And to do that well, 
it requires us to address the problems that come up. Our focus is not on the problem, but on walking with others. If we have the opportunity to help, we should. But it doesn't go well if we have a fix-it mentality, if it must be fixed before we, continue, before we can continue this relationship. Do we recognize that my relationship might make the difference for someone? Am I willing to go to the effort to have that relationship? Problems are going to come up. It's just going to happen. It's part of living with imperfect people. But in relationships, as in many other things in the world, problems are a code name for opportunity. Opportunities will come up in our relationship to show others whether or not we actually love them. Are we for real? Or are we just leeches? Will we choose to pass the test and strengthen the relationship? Or do we take the easy way out, turn away, and find somewhere else to go? I'm reminded of Otto Koenig, who once said, Don't waste good problems. Do we view problems like disagreement, relational friction, and other things as an opportunity? to strengthen our relationships as an opportunity to serve each other? I think we should. In conclusion, I do not come to you as one who has this all figured out or even as one who has done this successfully in the past. I recognize in myself the need to grow, the need to be intentional about growing solid strong relationships, both with God and with others. It's far too easy to have social media friends, if you will, friends that are at a distance. The friendship is shallow. And in contrast to that, I think about how children were intended by God to be raised. A father and a mother in loving relationship who show by example how relationships should be done, how relationships should be fostered. I think of the trust built by years of parents taking care of child's needs, children's needs. Trust built by trust earned. I think of the way children look to mom and dad to show what is important in life and how to get it, priorities. I think of the time that's spent together doing life, living life. And when I look at how family works, I get really excited about the term, the family of God. How are we doing in the local family of God? Are we exemplifying good relationships to those around us and among us? Are we building trust by walking with others through problems, both theirs and ours? Are we exemplifying the values of God? 
Are we prioritizing relationships or something else? Relationships are incredibly formative, not only for children, but also for us as adults. Life is learned through relationship. Life is lived in the context of relationship. Our relationships, or the lack of them, or maybe I should say and the lack of them, can strengthen or weaken, prepare or deprive, help or hinder our journey and our work in the kingdom of God. Do we prioritize and seek to grow our relationships, or do we just allow them to happen willy-nilly and hope for the best? I think as we recognize the value that relationships hold, we do well to give them the priority and the intentionality they deserve. And I ask again, are you in relationship? Let's kneel for prayer.